It says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I come before you. I thank you for this opportunity to preach. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep me from being proud and arrogant and keep me from sounding angry or like I'm putting myself on some sort of pedestal. Lord, you know that we all are nothing in your sight. And I pray you'd help me to remember that and help all of us to remember that. But, Lord, we know that what you've said in your word doesn't just apply to people who lived 2,000 years ago. It applies to us today, and it should affect the way that we live today and tomorrow and the next day. And I pray, Lord, you break all of our hearts that we can let your word change us and to make us into the image of your Son. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask these things. Amen. On October 6, 2003, Timothy Treadwell and his girlfriend Annie were eaten by grizzly bears. And this man, you may have heard about him, he was all over the news quite a, a, several years back. He was known as the Grizzly Man. He spent 13 summers in the Alaskan wilderness, a couple of them with his girlfriend, a couple of them by him, several of them by himself, and he took risks that no one else would take. He would get, at one time he slept next to a tranquilized grizzly bear who he did not know when, it, when she would awake, slept next to her without pepper spray, without a gun, without a knife, without anything. He thought, he had this idea, and this is what he would say. He would get on national television and he would say things like this, what I'm doing is not safe for most people to do, but because I have superior knowledge of grizzly bears' habits, because I am friends with these bears, I can, I can hang out with a half-ton grizzly bear and get away with it. I'm not going to get eaten because I know about bears. This is what he would say. Well, he found out that no amount of knowledge about bears will keep them from eating you if they get in the mood to do it. And that's what happened to him. And his girlfriend suffered with him because of his own ignorance and his own foolishness. Now, the Corinthian believers were in a sort of similar, had a similar problem. They just couldn't see it. The verse that I read, it needs to be understood in the context of chapters 8 to 10, which is dealing with all the same subject, and the book as a whole. The Corinthian church had a lot of problems. They, they had more problems than almost any other church that, that Paul wrote to. And in chapters 8 to 10, Paul is dealing with this idea that the Corinthian believers had. And they had this idea that it was all right for them to go down to the pagan temples and eat the meat sacrificed to the idols. And some of them were so bold that they thought, we can go into the pagan temple, sit down at the dinner table, eat with the pagans while they're worshiping the idols. And because of our superior knowledge, because we know what an idol is, and we know this, and we know that, we won't commit idolatry. And they reasoned like this. Here's what they said. They said, an idol is really nothing. I mean, there's only one God, right? We all believe there's one God. And because I only believe there's one God, I'm in no danger of worshiping these idols over here. So therefore, it doesn't really matter what I eat or what I don't eat or where I go or where I don't go. I'm not going to commit idolatry because I know there's only one God. And therefore, you know, God never specifically said anything about this, and so it's, it's going to be all right for me. And one commentator called this group of people the knowers. They thought their knowledge made them superior to falling into idolatry. And Paul at first almost seemed to agree with them. In chapter 8, if, if you look at the beginning, he said, we know we all have knowledge, and we know that an idol is nothing. Your thinking's right. 
They, 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 their reasoning was perfectly sound. The problem wasn't with their reasoning. The problem was with the heart that would produce that kind of reasoning. The flaw wasn't in their logic. The flaw was in their heart. And Paul didn't just start with blam blasting them at the beginning and saying, well, this, 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 and just slamming them because they would have maybe not have listened to him. So he starts very gradually building his argument from a weaker one to a stronger one until he gets down to chapter 10 and he tells them what it's really all about. But he starts out, he says, you know, you think you have this knowledge, well, what about somebody who doesn't have this knowledge? And they are weak, and they, they think that this idol is may actually a god, and they know it's a false god, but a weaker believer or even an unbeliever could be, you know, strengthened by your boldness to go eat in the idol's temple, to go do the same thing, and they'll fall into sin even if you wouldn't. Even, even, let's say, let's say your knowledge is right and everything you're doing is right and you're never going to commit idolatry. Well, what about those who might commit idolatry based on your example? But he doesn't stop there because he goes on and he, and, and he gives them an example of himself. He says, you know, if, if these Corinthians had knowledge, if they had knowledge that made them above falling, the Apostle Paul had knowledge. They had nothing on the Apostle Paul. If they had this spiritual experience, if they were too spiritual to fall into sin... Where did that leave the Apostle Paul? But the Apostle Paul said, I keep my own self under subjection. He said, I work every day so that I won't be a castaway. And said, he, he strove as an Olympian so he wouldn't fall. He compared himself, the effort he put to keep himself, the Apostle Paul could, to keep the Apostle Paul from falling, he compared it to the amount of effort that an Olympic runner puts into winning, winning the race. I'd say that's pretty intense. And that's what the Apostle Paul thought he had to do to keep himself from falling aside. And these Corinthians thought they were above falling? You're beginning to see there were some serious problems with the way they were behaving. And he doesn't just give them his own example. If you go down to the beginning of chapter 10, he says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant of the, of the, of the Israelites. And see, the example he gives of the Israelites, they had spiritual privileges too, and they had knowledge. They had something that's never been seen before or since. God the Father ruled directly, gave words directly to Moses that directly applied to their lives as it happened. They were led with a pillar of a cloud they could see. They could see the miracles of God with their own eyes. They'd seen things. They had less knowledge of the truth than the Corinthians had because the gospel hadn't come yet, but they'd seen things the Corinthians had never seen. What's more, they were in the wilderness. They left Egypt behind. They weren't in the middle of Egypt when, when, when all this stuff that they were doing was going on. They were out in the wilderness where, they were, where there was only them. And yet out of their own hearts came this idolatry, came fornication. There was only a little bit of temptation. And yet they fell over and over and over again. And, and Paul says, these things were written for their example to show us no one is immune from falling. The Corinthians were just like Mr. Treadwell. They thought their superior knowledge made them immune to temptation. They were just like Mr. Treadwell who thought his knowledge of bears made him immune to being eaten and they were both wrong. The Corinthians, they treated temptation like it was a spending limit on a paid-for shopping spree rather than the trip line of Satan's snare. They wanted to get as close as they could get. I mean, if someone said, you have $1,000 to spend, you wouldn't spend $500. If you knew that it was, you know, if your employer gave you $1,000 to spend at a store, you would try to get as close as you could get without going over the limit. And that's the way the Corinthians were treating temptation. They weren't looking at it as a snare, as something you want to stay away from, as the edge of a cliff. They were looking at it as, how close can I get without going too far? That's what they were looking at. 
And if we look at verse 13, we'll see there is a way to escape from temptation. But one man put it this way, the way out is for those who are looking for a way out, not for those who, like the Corinthians, are looking for a way in. The way, of temp the way of escape that God provides is for those that are looking for a way out, not for those that are looking to see how close they can get, how much they can get before they get caught. The promise is for the temptations that come upon us. There's no promise of escape in this passage. If you look at verse, if you look at verse 13, it's talking about the temptations that have taken you. It's not talking about the temptations you take upon yourself. There's no promise of escape. There's no guarantee that there'll be a way out of those temptations. Because of this, Paul told the Corinthian believers that only fleeing temptation would keep them from falling into sin. That's what he told them. He said, only fleeing temptation, the only way that you're going to keep yourselves from falling into sin is by fleeing temptation. The only way you're going to keep, the only way you can make sure that you're not going to commit this sin of idolatry is by fleeing from it. You're not going to get it by standing. There's no way, there's no amount of knowledge, there's no amount of experience, there's no amount of anything that's going to make you secure against falling if you refuse to flee from temptation, if you refuse to flee from idolatry. And that's what Paul told the Corinthians. The book of Proverbs tells us pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. If you think that you can stand, you will fall. No one knows enough about grizzly bears to live with them and sleep with them and not get eaten when they feel like it. And no one knows enough about sin to play with it and not get caught. But this doesn't just apply to the Corinthians. The examples Paul gave for their learning were also given for ours. The warning the Holy Spirit through Paul gave to the Corinthians in their day, he's giving to us in ours, and the warning that he's giving us is this, that the only way to stop falling into sin is to start fleeing from temptation. That is the only way. That's, there's, there's nothing else you can do. There's, there's not, you, you can't build yourself up to the point where, you know what, I can handle temptation now. You can't do that. I think most of us here would recognize that going down to the pagan temple and, and, and sacrificing the idols and eating the sacrifices is not something we ought to be involved in. I think most of us would understand that sleeping with grizzly bears is not something that is safe to be involved in. I don't think anyone would tell me it's good to hang out with half-ton grizzlies or go down to the temple of whoever or whatever God that you find wherever you find it and, and participate there. But we in our churches, we're guilty of the very same thing, the very same sort of thinking that caused the Corinthians to fall, Mr. Treadwell, to die. We'd reject, we'd even laugh at the ideas that they had. Yet, many professing Christians think they can have fellowship with places no better than a pagan temple. I met a man who told me how he was saved, how he believed the gospel. And yet, he informed me, he's attending a Church of Christ, a church of Christ uh, assembly. And I said, what are you doing there? Well, he said, my daughter, my daughter's going to a Church of Christ school, and they just have this one little problem about baptism. You know, I tell them all the time, you know, you can't get to heaven by being baptized, but they're wonderful people, and I just really feel at home there. He was very deceived. He was fellowshipping at a place that was no better than the pagan temple the Corinthians were being told to avoid. And that's a, main, that's a big problem today in our churches, that we're, we're fellowshipping with these people that have nothing to do, are just as anti-God. We think that for some greater cause, for whatever reason, we can fellowship with those that are just as anti-God as any pagan idol ever was. But that's not really the biggest problem that we have today. That does apply, and that is a problem. But that's not the primary application to contemporary Christians 
because that's not the real God of America today. The real God of America today is entertainment and pleasing the flesh and getting along with the world system. That's what the God of America today is. Because whatever people profess to worship, whatever they say is their God, their real God is where their love is, their time is, and their treasure is. That's how you determine what somebody worships. I don't care what you say you worship. Uh, if you tell me what you have the most passion for, what you spend the most time on, and what you spend the most money on, I'll tell you who your God is. And I'll tell you who you worship. And any analysis of the secular culture in which we live would lead to one conclusion, that they worship entertainment and they worship the pleasing of their own flesh. That's where the largest salaries are made. You have corporate America and you have a few CEOs who make a lot of money, but the largest salaries, the richest people, almost without exception, are in the entertainment industry, are in the industry of pleasing our flesh. That's, that's where the money is. That's where the most time is spent. And if you want to see passion... You don't go to the workplace most of the time. You go down to the ball game. You go to the movie house. You see people cry through the movies. You see people do all of these things. And all of it's to please their own flesh. That's where passion is. That's where time is. That's where money is today. It's all of the largest industries are related to entertainment, are related to the pleasing of our flesh. And that's the true equivalent in our day of the pagan temple in the Corinthians. It's not in the places of worship. Because people don't worship God anymore. They don't even worship false gods. They worship themselves. And the places where people satisfy their own fleshly lust is the where people are worshiping today. And yet, there was nothing inherently wrong with the Corinthians going into the pagan temple. God never said, thou shalt not eat meat offered to idols. He told the Jews some things about that, but there was no laid down word for word principle. In the, in the New Testament, the Corinthians have been told, this is absolutely wrong for you to do. He never said, you should never enter the temple. Remember, there was nothing wrong with their, with, their, with their thinking, their reasoning. What they were reasoning was right. It was indeed possible for them to go and for them to be in the temple and not commit idolatry. That was true. And yet we have today, in our churches, in our hearts, in my heart, we, give, we have the same kind of reasoning. We say there's no commandment in Scripture against doing such and such. And, and, and I've heard people talk about the movies they watch or the things that they do. It may be sin for somebody else to do this, but I have knowledge that makes me immune to falling. I can watch this PG-13 or R-rated slop. It's only violence. I know I'm not going to go out and kill somebody just because the, the actor killed somebody. I'm not going to go out and fornicate because that's what they did. I can watch it and it won't affect me because I'm superior to being affected by that. And they think they're standing. But they're not fleeing from it. And we wonder why in the world do we have so many people, even pastors, even preachers, people we respect, falling into sin. Why we have such horrible wickedness in our churches today that we find out all the time this person you respect is, is secretly engaged in some awful sin. It happens all the time in churches all across America, not just in churches that we would say that's a wrong church, that have bad doctrine, but churches that we would fellowship with, pastors we would respect. It happens. Why? Because they think they're superior to falling. And when you think you're superior to falling, you are sure to fall. The only way that you are going to escape from sin is to flee from temptation. And this doesn't just apply to movies. By no means it applies to every area of our lives. People say, you know what? I go to work and this person's flirting with me, but I have this knowledge that I can flirt with them to a point and my knowledge makes me superior to falling. I can get away with it because I know when to stop. I know where the line is. You know, somebody else had better stay all away from it, but 
I have this knowledge. I, I, know, I know when this book gets too dirty. I, I know when to skip this scene. I know when to turn my eyes away from that. And, and we can go ahead and we can do it because we think we're superior and we can handle it. Or I can go to that restaurant that's a bar and I just won't look at the people drinking. I just won't, I just won't look at the filthy pictures on the wall. I, I can go to this place that is questionable and has this slop or that slop and I, know, I have all this knowledge that will help me to avoid it. And we'll willingly place ourselves and we'll go and we'll sleep with the bears because we know when they start to get angry, we know when to get out. We know how big a bear we can wrestle. Well, I have something to tell you about bears. Small bears have big mamas. It's true. They do. And small sins have big friends. And we think that we're strong enough to handle this. We have no idea what's attached. You know, you know animals, when they get caught in a snare, they think they can grab it. And sometimes there'll be a, a, a trap or something where the animal will see a part of the trap. He'll think he can handle that, but he doesn't see the whole thing. And he'll get caught. And we're the same way. We see the bait. We see, this is something I want to do. This is something that I think is helpful to me. Or this is something that will satisfy me and please me. Whatever it is. I don't care. You can apply it to any area of your life. We don't have time to go into every application of this. And you don't have time to listen to it. But I'm, I'm assuring you that this has to do with every area of life. And we think that we can get away with something because we're above falling. And it's simply a lie of the devil. It's not true. There is a way out for temptation that comes upon us. God's not going to put us in a situation where we're following His will where we won't be able to escape from sin. That's not going to happen. But, just like God never promised to protect our lives if we insist on going and playing in, in, in New York City traffic, that's not, that's not what God's promise of protection has to do with. So God's promise of protection from falling into sin doesn't have to do with us going and playing and flirting with sin. It, it's not covered. It's like insurance. You buy an insurance policy um, when, you get, when you have a warranty. A warranty doesn't cover you taking your, your uh, computer and throwing it across the room. It's not covered. Because the computer was never intended to be used as a weapon to throw at someone across the room. Just like that, God never intended His children to put themselves in situations where they can't help but being exposed to temptation He never intended for them to face. And He's not going to provide always a way out. There may be a way out, there may not. But that's not covered in verse 13. What is covered is verse 14, which says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And it doesn't just apply to worshiping at a pagan temple. It applies to all of life. And I can't end this message without saying one thing more. There are many that are confident they're going to go to heaven. And they've made a profession, and, and, and they, they, they're sure they're not going to go to hell because they have a confidence in something or other and they have a confidence in their tradition, or they have a confidence in their religion, or they have a confidence that they're a good person, or you have a confidence in whatever. But I have to say tonight that confidence leading to falling doesn't just apply to believers falling into sin. It applies to unbelievers as well. Because you see, if you're confident and you refuse to flee to Christ because you're so confident you're on your way to heaven, you will fall into hell. Because salvation is all about fleeing to Christ and rejecting your own confidence. That's what it's about. And if you have confidence in anything else other than the fact that you are fleeing to Christ and you have fled to Christ and you're resting in His arms, if you think you can stand and you think you can make it to heaven, you won't. And so really the application comes down to the same thing for both saved and unsaved. For anyone, 
It's very general, but it's very specific when it gets down to the practical side in our lives. If you think you're standing, you'll fall. Are you standing or are you fleeing? Just one warning before the invitation. It's easy to look and remember Peter when he was Peter. But we need to listen to the message. Because that's where we live every day. Let's have a song of invitation.